bulletin is the call to worship. It comes from the 25th Psalm. And this responsive reading is a prayer that is prayed by the psalmist in which he recognizes God for his goodness, his uprightness, his mercy, and his love that is fixed upon those that truly fear him. Will you stand together with me as we call one another to worship with this responsive reading? To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed, and do not let my enemies exalt over me. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. Now let us lift our voices in praise to our God, 151, 151, O come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant, O come ye to Bethlehem, 151.
Now again, take your Trinity hymn books, turning to 281, 281, for all the saints who from their labors rest, 281.
Today for the consecutive reading, we're in John chapter 17. At this point, uh, the time is coming near when Jesus is to be crucified, and we see him praying to God the Father. This is often referred to as the high priestly prayer. Let's read. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father... Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may be, that they may have my <clears throat> joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me, before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So seek our God together in prayer again this morning. We want to pray especially for the Perkins, Philip and Abigail and their family who labor there in Central Asia. Let us seek our God together. Father, we say with the hymn writer, a wonderful Savior is Jesus, 
our Lord. And what a delight it is for us to know that he now sits at your right hand, making intercession for us, praying for us even as we have heard his prayer read in our hearing this morning. May that encourage us. May that be a means of wonderful grace to help us to be kept to the very end. Father, we pray that we might be found faithful, faithful to you, faithful in our responsibilities, both individually in our homes as well as in our church. That, Father, you might be pleased and that you might be glorified and that you might find our actions to be acceptable and pleasing sacrifices offered to you. And even as we gather together in this place, it is that we might exalt our God together. And so we pray that you would help us to do that. And again, that our offering of praise and thanksgiving and worship to you this morning would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Thank you that you've given to us a desire to worship you. And so, Father, we pray that you would come in our time together this morning and draw near to us. Make your word by the work of your spirit be effective in each of our hearts and lives for your glory and for your honor. Father, we pray for those who aren't able to be with us. We know that there are several who are on beds of affliction, who are suffering with illness, and we pray that you would watch over them. They're able to watch live stream. We pray that you might bless the word to their hearts and lives and draw near to them. Bring them back to us, we pray. Father, we would pray as well for your word as it goes forward this day on your day in many pulpits here nearby us as well as around the world. We thank you that you've given us the opportunity not to just consider our own gathering, but also the gathering of your people in various places around the world. Father, we do pray this morning that you would be with Philip and Abigail Perkins as they've now made it back to Indonesia. We pray that you would watch over them. We pray that as they have many responsibilities, learning the language, learning the culture and the society in which they now live, developing relationships with others, working with the team. We pray to give forth the gospel and even see churches planted. But we pray, Father, that in the midst of all these responsibilities above everything else, you would help them to maintain and keep their own souls right with you, as well as to care for their three children. And so we pray that Abigail and Philip's relationship would ever be growing as well as their love and care and bringing up their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So watch over them, be with them. Now again, Father, we, we would pray that you would come. It is our desire that you would minister unto us, that there truly would be a sense that God is in this place, and that, Father, you would use your word to draw us ever closer to you and to conform us more and more into your image. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now before we come to open the word of God, take your hymns of grace. Hymns of grace turning to 237. 
For those of you that I'm able to, I sent you this hymn this past week. I trust you've listened to it and uh, come familiar with it. I'll have Rachel play all the way through it one time, and then we will stand and sing it together. Joy has gone.
1 Corinthians chapter 13 again this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Follow as I read the first seven verses. If I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, and do not have love, I become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy, and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burnt, but do not have love, it profiteth me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not easily provoked, does not take into account wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We'll stop our reading there. Jonathan Edwards wrote, The spirit of love is an amicable spirit, it is the spirit of Jesus Christ. It is the spirit of heaven. He goes on to write, A life of love is a pleasant life. In our society today, we live as though that's not true. We live as though whatever it takes, whoever I have to run over, Whatever I have to do to get to the top, I will do it. No matter what you think or no matter how it affects you. A genuine spirit of love seems to be absent in our culture and oftentimes in our churches. We're surrounded with tension and strife and division in society and many times in churches. So the Apostle Paul instructs the church at Corinth that that love should be the chief mark of their lives. In many so-called even religious circles, you, you would never know that the second greatest commandment is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And we spend far more time debating and discussing deep theological things of God very little time thinking or discussing how we ought to love 
one another. The old hymn writer put it this way, Let us love our God supremely. Let us love each other too. Let us love and pray for sinners till our God makes all things new. Now Paul thought it was necessary to write this church at Corinth about this topic of love. It was a subject they needed to hear because if you look at this church, you would find it to be a church that seemed to lack love and were more engaged in impatience, unkindness, jealousy, and envy. There was a, seems to be a, a real lack in this church at Corinth of genuine love. A love, we might say, that takes much from others without retaliation. A love that gives much to others without expectation in return. A love that can look at others' success without bitter feelings. You see, Paul wants this church to be marked by patience, kindness, and no jealousy, no envy. And so he tells them, love is patient, love is kind, and love is not jealous. And if that's not enough to work on, he goes on. And this morning, it is my desire, which I believe will bleed over into this afternoon, for us to consider together the next two characters that mark genuine love. For he says, love does not brag and is not arrogant. In other words, love thinks of others without selfish motives. Genuine love thinks of others without selfish or mercenary motives. And by mercenary, I mean thinking of others without expecting them to do something in return. And so as we have in the past, so we shall again this morning be begin by considering the definitions. The definitions. And the first one is this, love does not brag. The King James Version, which perhaps many of us memorized, is this, charity vaunteth not itself. The English Standard Version says, love does not boast. Now this term, brag or, or boast or vaunteth not itself, means to talk with conceit or to behave as a braggart or as some have said, a windbag 
You're not a windbag. You don't exhibit self. You don't embellish things for self. The word that Paul uses here is a word that is only found here in the New Testament. Someone has said, to sum it up, it's the hot air that comes out of somebody's mouth, of the proud person's mouth. Someone else has referred to this term as, it does not parade itself. That is, love does not boast or brag. It doesn't elevate itself before others. To parade oneself is to show off, to put yourself on display for all to see and give you praise. Matthew 6 and verse 1, our Lord says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Beware of parading yourself. So the word literally means to heap praise on oneself. It means to talk conceitedly. So the idea is to draw attention to oneself verbally in order to elevate yourself. Love does not brag. The second thing, he says, love is not arrogant. King James translates it, charity is not puffed up. The term means to inflate. It literally means to puff up. It describes one who is inflated, who's proud, haughty, with pride. In, in our vernacular, we would say it's a man with a swelled head. Who've heard, who, who's heard of a blowfish? You know what a blowfish is? It's a very, from what I understand, I'm not a fisherman, so Cliff, you can correct me. It, it's a very narrow fish, from what I understand, very slender, yet it inflates itself to look larger. That's what it means to be arrogant. It means to be like a blowfish and to seek to present yourself as something truly bigger than, than what you are. Perhaps arrogant has the idea of that which is from within. I mean, at the end of the day, do not brag and, and do not be arrogant. The two terms seems like synonyms. But the difference between them is this. To brag denotes the verbalizing of pride. It, it focuses upon the actual speech or, or the actual behavior of a proud individual where arrogance 
focuses upon the attitude of pride. Conceit that is down inside. So, so we have these individuals who verbally let everyone know how great they are and, and how they need to be recognized. And then you have some who simply walk around with that, 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 uh, that parading look so that they want everyone to notice them. At the end of the day, the two terms point to a very proud person. I mean, we all tend, and we'll get to this in a minute, but we all tend to be proud. Which one of us aren't proud of our grandchildren? Hmm. Show me a golfer who's not, well, some may not be, proud of his game. Remember when we had those little children, some of us in our homes, and, and they would come home and say, I got an A! I got, here, here, put it on the refrigerator! I got an A! But here's a man who truly lives for himself. It's all about me. He exalts himself. He, he promotes himself. His focus is self. He, his interest is self. Without really any care for anyone else. Many homes lack love because many individuals are proud, are proud. And before we get to the description of a proud man, I want to take a moment just to remind you what God thinks about such people. The language is startling. If you think that pride is is no big deal. Listen to what God says. Proverbs 6 and verse 16. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to Him. Now that ought to capture your attention. Here's something that the Bible says God hates. And number one on the list is haughty eyes, proud eyes. That's sobering. Pride and arrogance are the way of evil and perverse speech I hate. Proverbs 8 and verse 13. Did you hear that? Pride and arrogance are the way of evil and perverse speech. And then he says, I hate. Proverbs 16 and verse 5. 
everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Pride really doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. Come on, pastor, speak about other things. Speak about the adulterer. Speak about the homosexual. Speak about the transgender. Why, why do you take time about speaking about pride? Well, we do, number one, because we're going through 1 Corinthians 13, and he says love does not brag or is arrogant. But another reason I want to warn you how God thinks about your pride. He hates it. He hates it. C.S. Lewis says this. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any person except a Christian ever imagines that they are guilty themselves. There is a fault which makes a man most unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of ourselves. Pride is something we see in others, but we often don't see it in ourselves. Someone said this, it, it, it's like bad breath. You don't smell your own, but others do. So is pride. Let me finish what's a sidetrack. Let me go back to C.S. Lewis. The more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. According to the Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. Let me say that again. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. C.S. Lewis. So here we see something of the definition of pride. But secondly, notice with me what I'm just calling the descriptions of pride. And here we want to note several things about bragging or being arrogant. The church at Corinth, as we already mentioned, was marked by pride. That was a, a huge area of concern by the Apostle Paul for this church. Remember, when they, when they came to the Lord's Supper even, they did not wait on one another. 
Some would begin to eat without considering others. This was a church that could be proud of their gifts and wanted the more excellent gifts so that others might recognize them. They, they were even proud in their tolerance of sin. Some were proud about their favorite preacher. Paul even says of some of them in chapter 4 and verse 18, now had become arrogant. So what about this thing of pride? What, what do we take note of? There, there are four things that I would have you note with me. First of all, it is extensive. It is widespread. It is extensive. And I think we all know that all too well. Such behavior is saying, I want to sit on the throne. I want people to take note of me and and not, not even necessarily of you, God. As C.S. Lewis has already mentioned, we can go back to the first rebellious act which was planted in the heart of arrogance, the devil himself. In Isaiah chapter 14, and many believe that this is a reference to Satan. We read these words. I will ascend to heaven, and I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself like the Most High, Nevertheless, you will thrust me down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. I will do this. I will become the Most High. Leads to the fall of Satan. But it doesn't just end there. It continues. And Satan uses that very vice to cause our first parents to fall into sin and rebellion. He comes to them and he says, God knows that the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and what? You will be like God. Oh, I'll be like God? And they ate. And sin came into the world. And now, through our parents, we find pride within our own hearts. When Paul was giving forth the gospel, and why, why there was the need of the gospel, there in Romans, Romans chapter 1 and 2, stating why the gospel needed to come into the world in Romans 1 and verse 29, Paul gives us 
the sins that that men are guilty of. And he it lists envy, followed by arrogance and boastful. When, when, he, when he wanted men to understand their need of a Savior, because of their sins, he reminds them of the very things we've been talking about. Envy and arrogance and being boastful. But pride not only deals with the heart of the unconverted, as Paul mentions in Romans 1, but it also affects the life of the believer, doesn't it? Christ's disciples are here are heard arguing about who would be the greatest in Christ's kingdom. These are the disciples of Christ. We eat of Peter. Oh, though others forsake you, I would never do that. Well, I understand. These other guys, well, yeah, probably. But not me. I'll never do that. What happens? He denies the Lord some three times. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says... What what an unusual thing. He says, you know what? I need a thorn in the flesh. Why? Why why do you need a thorn in the flesh for, Paul? Because of the revelation given to him, he feared he would exalt himself. He, he, He was fearful of his own heart. That given what God has given to him, he would become proud and puffed up. And so he's got this thorn in the flesh that he asked three times to be removed. But he recognized, I needed that to keep me humble. Men of God throughout the centuries have had to acknowledge their pride. Jonathan Edwards has written, What a foolish, silly, miserable, Blind, deceitful, poor worm I am when pride is at work. I like what Henry Martin says. People frequently admire me. And then he says, and you know what? I am pleased. I am pleased. He's very transparent with his own heart. And we all tend to be that way. We like for people to say nice things about us. Any man who, who's honest with his own heart knows something about the fight against pride. So it is extensive. Secondly, it is assertive. It is assertive. Pride seeks its own. There is this sin of selfish ambition. 
Let's turn again. Last week we looked at this. Look over to uh, James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Here, James is, is warning us about worldly wisdom compared to godly wisdom. And as he warns about worldly wisdom, he says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. Last week we looked at jealousy. This week we're considering what we might call selfish ambition. Seeking a high position for ourselves. Wanting to be most visible. Being very competitive with one another or towards one another. Most of you know, I, I, have, I have an identical twin brother. Um, used to be, not so much anymore, but used to be, if he walked in here and you saw him from a distance, you would say, oh, there's Pastor Walden. And you would be right, he's also Pastor Walden, but he's not this Pastor Walden. The thing I, I found that when, you, when people ask me all the time, what's it like being a twin? My standard answer is, what's it like not to have one? I don't know. I only had a twin. But as we were growing up, from the time we were five, probably till we were out of high school, oftentimes we would hear things like, who's the smartest? Who's the better looking? Who has the better looking girlfriend? Who can play basketball better? Now, I think most of us know the answer to those questions. However, it made us very competitive. I, I wanted to outdo him in everything. The, the last thing in the world I wanted was for us to walk out in the hall at school and him to raise up a paper and say, I got an A. And I raised up my paper and said, oh, never mind. And that's often how we treat one another. I want to be better than you. I want to show myself to be smarter than you. I've got more money than you. I drive a better car than you. I know more theology than you. It's about self. All about self. We oftentimes become like the Pharisees. We don't want to admit this, but we we become like the Pharisees in Luke chapter 18. Where Christ would say of the Pharisees, they love the chief seat in the synagogue and the respectful greetings in the marketplace. They love that. It's a pursuit to be recognized. No matter who you have to step on or step over to achieve it. How come they're getting recognized? How come people notice them and they're not noticing me?
It's extensive. It's assertive. But thirdly, it's divisive. It's divisive. Again, the reason Paul addresses this idea to the church at Corinth is because of all the divisions. I like Paul. I like Apollo. Oh, I prefer Peter. Oh, no, I prefer... It causes strife. Again, my Bible's still open. I don't know if yours is. It's to James chapter 3. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, what? There is disorder and every evil thing. Every evil thing. It leads to exaggerations. You know, get a bunch of preachers together. So, how many do you have in church on Sunday? Well, counting the birds and the bugs and the rats and the mice, I think we had close to a hundred. Oh, you met people? It divides. Selfish ambition used, it leads to personal gratification. Selfish fulfillment at any cost. It leaves no room for others. Remember, in, in Matthew chapter 20, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, what did she want? She wanted her two sons to sit on the right and left hand of Christ in His kingdom. So she, she goes... Goes to Christ. I, I, I want my two boys. I want them right there, right next to you, left and right. And, and the Bible says the other disciples heard him. And what happens? It says this Upon hearing this, the ten became indignant with their two brothers. It leads to division. In Proverbs 30, in verse 10, with arrogance comes only quarreling. Happens in our homes. When, when there's a fight in the home, it's not whether or not somebody picked up their dirty clothes off the floor. It usually has to do with somebody's pride. Their pride. I want it my way. I'll do it when I want to do it. I'm sorry that it bothers you, but it doesn't matter. Because I enjoy it. With arrogance comes quarreling. It happens in the church. I think we ought to do it this way. I think the deacons were wrong in picking that color. I think the pastor preaches way too long. Nobody ever says he preaches too short, but you know. With arrogance comes quarreling. 
And so it is extensive. It's assertive. It's divisive. But it's also destructive. It is destructive. Proverbs 16 and verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Pride goes before destruction. There are many examples in the Bible of this reality, isn't there? Can you think of some? Remember Goliath? Oh, Goliath. Little David goes out to fight against him, and there's big old Goliath, and he says, Am I a dog that you come against me with a stick? With this little, You think this little thing's going to beat me? Come on! And with one stone and one sling, the giant was defeated. Think of Haman there in Esther. He hears the king wants to honor someone. And the king asks Haman, how, how do I show honor to someone? And what does Haman think? He's talking about me. So let's build a chariot and let's take this man and ride him through the city and say to everyone, this is the man the king wishes to honor. And, I, and, and sometimes when I read Esther, I just imagine Haman thinking, oh man, that sounds, let's do that. Okay, let's do it. The chariot's built. Haman's standing there and the king walks up and says, okay. Mordecai, get in the chariot. And Haman, follow it. This is the king, this is the man the king wishes to honor. And then he builds a gallows because he wants to see Mordecai put to death. And he comes up with a plot whereby Mordecai will die on the gallows that he built. And who's hung on the gallows? Haman. Haman. There's Herod, an axe. Herod stands and speaks before all the people, and what do the people say? This is the voice of God and, and not of man. Herod likes that. And an angel of the Lord strikes him, and worms eat him, and he dies. And of course, anytime you think of pride and boastful statements, you have to, bless his heart, you have to bring up Peter. I mean, Peter had the audacity to, to rebuke the Lord. May, may this, as our Lord speaks of his upcoming death, and Peter takes him aside, you know, uh, brother, let me, let me talk to you a minute. Um, certainly you're wrong. That, that can never happen to you. And our Lord pats him on the head and says, Thank you. You're so wise. I'm so glad. No, what happened? Get behind me, Satan. And then he, these, guys, these guys will reject you. But never me. 
never me. It is destructive. Very destructive. So that's a description of this thing called pride that we notice together. It is extensive, it is assertive, it is divisive, and it is destructive. Well, thirdly, I want you to notice with me the alteration to pride. Alteration means the change. How, 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 how do we deal with pride? And, and how do we correct the arrogance and being a braggart so that we truly show genuine love? How would we change this in our lives? Well, here's where I've got good news for you. I have six or seven different things I want to say about this. That's why I said we'll carry it over to the afternoon. But let me begin by just mentioning a couple things before I actually get into these, what I call practical steps to help us with pride. Let me remind you of what we're told in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. Micah 6 and verse 8 says this, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. What does God require of you? To do justice, do that which is right. To be kind. You've heard about that already. Love is kind. But to walk humbly with your God. And so what are some practical steps on how to correct boasting and bragging in our lives? Well, the first one is this. Remember grace. Remember grace. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10, Paul says this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. How can you ever brag or display arrogance about anything in your own spiritual life or ministry or opportunity of service or abilities? If the bottom line is this, I am what I am only by the grace of God. None of us should think of ourselves as, as the originators of what is good, decent, and serviceable in our lives. Whatever talent, whatever ability, However I am used, it's, it's only, Paul says, by God's grace. If I have a particular talent, it's not because I simply built that up myself. If I have the, the talent and the ability to write, and you're able to express things on paper that, that benefits others. 
really nothing we can brag about because it's only by God's grace that you even have hands. Do you realize that? There are some people who, who, who are born without hands. God's given you a brain that helps you to express things on paper that others don't have that ability. How come? Why do you have that? Because God's given you that. There are some people who don't even have the ability because of the brain waves to even speak. And yet you do. Why? God's grace. God's grace. So when God uses us, it's only by His grace. I am what I am because of God's grace. So we must remember that. And so if you have some ability that others don't, I trust it's not so you can be seen, but that you can glorify God with it. Because it's only by His grace. Paul tells the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, What do you have that you have not received? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? What, what do you have that you haven't received? It's only because of something outside of yourself you're able to do this. And yet you boast as though you... It's all me. It's all me. So the first step is to remember grace. To remember grace. But let me close our time this morning by giving you this step. And then we'll look at the others this afternoon. Ultimately, we are to brag. But we're to brag in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 6 and verse 14. Paul comes to the end of this letter and he says, May it never be that I would boast except... Now, there is an exception as to what I should boast in. May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. May, may every one of us glory in the cross. Let, let us boast in our Savior let us brag about the crucified Lamb of God who died upon the cross for sin. Let us go to Him. Let us honor Him. Give Him glory and dominion. It's His. May that flow out of our mouths. Perhaps there are some who sat here this morning and you've never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ.
Let me brag about my Savior. He's your only hope of eternal life. He is the only way in which man can be reconciled to God. One has said, he lived a sinless and perfect life. He went to the cross. He was lifted up to die upon the cross in the place of sinners. Our sins were transferred to him and him who knew no sin. God made him to be sin for us. Upon the cross, he became a curse in our place. He suffered under the judgment of God for us. There's no salvation in any other name. We must turn to this crucified cross and believe upon him for salvation. He was taken down from the cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead. And he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. That's my Savior. May that be that. May he be that which we boast. Boast. Because without him, we would have no hope. Without Christ, we would have no salvation. And that's why Paul says, oh, there is an exception. Wait a minute, Paul, didn't you write, love does not brag? He says, well, there is an exception. I didn't make the exception, Paul did. Inspired by God. Boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, may God help us to be humble and consider others more important than ourselves without any mercenary motives. Got five more steps for you this afternoon. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for your word. May it truly be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for oftentimes lifting ourselves far higher than we ought to lift ourselves. Thinking higher, having us no problem with self-esteem, no problem with self-love, it comes oh so quickly. Oh, but Father, may, may we so live that our lives would be marked by humility. Help us to die to pride daily. And in that, may you be glorified. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. And now take your Trinity hymn books and turn to 547. 547. It is a hymn that expresses our humility. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. It's 540. It's not 547. What is have thine own way? I'm sorry. Uh, 574 I turned around the two numbers 574 have thine own way let's stand together as we sing
us at that prayer. Filled with thy spirit, till all shall see Christ in the living in me. Thank you.